0: for three, up three boom, Curry from the corner at three puts it in for overtime makes it A warm welcome from me Mark Woods to the latest edition of the MVP cast brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services. For a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. Now, our guest on this edition, well, he's one of my favourite players of the last 20 years. He jumped out of the gym everywhere from Brighton to Glasgow for England <laughs> and in many parts overseas. But in recent months, his life has been turned, well, upside down. A whole new contest in his hands, a whole new shot to take. But I'm delighted he's, he's able to come on and talk about it with us. Mike Martin, welcome to the MVP cast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I mean,
0: where do we start? Um, June, <laughs> you, you know, life is plodding along, you know, as, as things do. And, mm. and then you find out that you've got, well, you can explain exactly what it is, but it, it's a grade three brain tumor. Right. How, how, yeah. how do you find out what's, what, what were the warning signs and what led to the, to the diagnosis?
1: Um, to be honest, I guess, I guess um, things things started for me back in February of um, this year where um, I, I underwent um, spinal surgery um, because I've been suffering a really bad back pain for a very long time, for a number of years. And the option to have surgery was always there. Um, but I knew and I had found out that like, it would sideline me for quite a while. And obviously, for me, basketball was everything and there was no way in hell I was going to jeopardized my playing career because of you know a bit of pain and so I managed to last I managed to go go 12 years without you know having to have surgical intervention um so basically in February of this year I underwent surgery where they performed a, a spinal fusion with a decompression so initially it was you know recovery after that and my mindset was you know I need to I need to recover and get back into you know some sort of shape so that was my that was my uh, my everyday, you know, wake up, do a bit of exercise, get stronger and so on. Um and then obviously corona disrupted everybody's lives. So, you know, we were we were um distant social distancing and whatnot. And because I'm 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 a personal trainer now by by trade, because obviously I've retired from playing basketball, um, I started to do a little bit of work with clients outdoors um and just started to experience these headaches that came out from nowhere. Um, so you know, as you do, you have a headache. First thing you think, oh, I'll just pop a pill, get rid of it. And I was doing that quite regularly. I, I reckon literally near every day. Um, and then there were some other th- other signs I was showing of not being myself in the sense that I was forgetting things. Um, I'm quite particular with you know where things are placed and stuff like that. So my fiance highlighted the fact that, Mike, you're beginning to forget a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, what are you talking about? No, I'm not, not at all. Um, Completely oblivious to it, but obviously she sees me from a different angle. Um, So we went out shopping one afternoon, walking around the aisles in Sainsbury's and I experienced the foot drops. I literally couldn't lift my right leg. And then obviously, you know, your heart stops, alarm bells going off. So we're just thinking, what the hell has caused this? and because i i'm also a massage therapist I, I i thought that possibly it could well it could have to do with either a trap nerve or i did a little bit too much exercise um so my my oldest son his mother is now a, a qualified chiropractor i gave her a shout and asked could i come and have receive some, some treatment and uh, made my way over there on the tuesday the, the tuesday i believe the monday or the tuesday and after I explained my symptoms to her, she then turned around and said, Mike, I can't even touch you from a professional standpoint. I'm not even allowed to touch you. You need to go to the hospital. So once again, you know, heart in your throat, you're thinking, why am I being, why is she, she's suggesting the hospital? When in my head, I'm thinking it's more of a hands-on situation. Just get your hands on me, massage me and, and get rid of this, this nerve if That's what it is. Um, so myself, and my fiance went to Charing Cross Hospital on Tuesday, the 9th of June. Where the um, <clears throat> the person that was on duty listened to my story, and he straight away said, "You know what? We need to keep you in because we need to perform a CT scan because from your symptoms, that blatantly just highlights the fact that it's something, it's something neuro rather than anything to do with a trapped nerve." So I stayed in overnight. had a had the um, scan done the following day. And waited a couple of hours, and they came and broke the news to myself and my fiance that. There was a mass over my, my my frontal lobe, and they don't know what it is just yet. But obviously, for them, they need to investigate to find out what it is. Um, their plan was to perform a biopsy on the on the Friday of that week, which is the twelfth, I believe, something like that. Um, had the biopsy done, came out of sedation and they were literally like, they were literally ecstatic. The fact that, you know, that they performed a great surgery and they, they managed to remove the whole tumor. So myself, my fiance were left with the, with, with the thought that, Oh, this is it. It's over. It's out. It's over. We're fine. We're good to go. Um, lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, we go for another scan and it's come back. And, and we're told that it's, um, the tumor is cancerous. Um, there are still cancerous cells, um, Within my, within my brain tissue and they don't suggest any further surgery. But what they do suggest is that I go for um, a bout of radiotherapy along with chemotherapy to try and get rid of, you know, the cancer. Um, on further investigation, they found that it was actually a grade three brain tumour. Um, yeah, so a grade three brain tumour. And their approach now is going to be one of radiotherapy first for six and a half weeks, five days a week, which I just completed last week, Monday. Um, obviously, you know, I've, I've lost my hair. My energy levels are so low. Um, it's difficult to get up and just do my everyday sort of, thing, sort, sort of things, um, which is really, really frustrating. I understand it, but I, it's difficult to accept and, and, and absorb. Um, so I've got a four-week break at the moment, and I will begin chemotherapy early October. For as long as 6 to 12 months. Um, The the reasons for these treatments is they don't feel it's something that they can completely get rid of. What they're hoping is that it will go into remission and I'd have to manage it for the remainder of my life.
0: I mean it's an extraordinary thing to take in and (laughs) you know for <clears throat> that part of your brain I and mean, obviously the frontal lobe is, is the part that controls your know, memory and personality right. and all that I mean what I mean you talked obviously about the physical symptoms there but your fiance Amy you know yeah spending time I mean did you notice you talk about losing memory I mean was it purely when she said to you then a sense a light bulb comes off or had other people in retrospect when you explained what had happened said yeah actually I've spotted this.
1: I mean, was it was it obvious to
0: all but yourself, possibly?
1: Um I looking at it now, I think it was obvious to other people more so than it was for for me. Because I'm I'm I've always been the kind of individual that, you know, I've got something to do and I very, very rarely let anything get in the way of what I've set out to do. Whether it is, you know, you, you I, I go to work and I've got clients booked in and there's no time to eat or whatever. I just crack on and get the job done. Um, So, yes, Amy noticed. Yeah, Amy was the first person to notice changes within myself that I wasn't aware of and the forgetfulness. I I even left the flat one day and left the door open without locking it. And that's just so not me. Um, So I've spoken to a few of my clients um, over this whole period of time. and, And a few of them have said, Mike, you know what? Now that you've mentioned this, there were a few things that Weren't quite you. One of my clients mentioned that you know I sent sent her for a bit of a jog round, round round the park, and she came back and I was sitting there with my head in my hand, and literally falling asleep. And to this day, I do not remember doing that. <laughs> I have no recollection of doing that. I've always felt I'm on the ball, I'm 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 alert, I'm very attentive to what my clients need and and how I train them. But when she said that, I was like, "Are you serious?" And she was adamant that that's what happened. So. You know, going back to your question, yeah, there were there, there were a few things that I was completely oblivious to, um, but other people around me were were kind of like aware of.
0: I mean, surgery. I've seen the photos. Obviously, you have got the scar across the forehead, and yeah, you know, there's there's always that physical recovery from surgery. But for someone who was a walking, talking energizer bunny for such <laughs> a long period of time, and including in your, in your in your sort of second career. Has mm. has that been tough to deal with, the fact that you, you're you basically exhausted, I guess, in a lot of the time?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, my response is not one, oh, oh, woe is me, oh, poor Mike. It's, it's more, there, there's such a high level of frustration within me at this moment in time because I knew or I know how I used to be. And... I'd, I'd wake up and get the job done and nothing would get in my way. Tiredness, you know, hunger, whatever the case may be. There was nothing that would physically stop me from doing or, or performing my day-to-day activities. And now, regardless of how well I feel I sleep, I wake up and it's literally a case of once my feet hit the floor, it's it's a 50-50. are am am my leg's going to be okay this morning. Or am I gonna have the shakes? And and it's it's that some days I wake up, feet hit the floor, great, no shakes, it's gonna be a positive day. And then there are days where I feel like I've slept well, I've recovered, I've eaten well the day the day before. I wake up feeling I'm gonna have another good day, and the legs just start to shake. And I'm like, damn, why? Why today? Why can this thing just not go? You know, why why am I feeling like this? It's enough of a it's, it's enough to mess with your mind, not knowing what's going on behind the scenes, you know, because obviously, you know, you can't see what's going on in your head. But it's it's another thing to look at yourself in a mirror and not recognize the individual that's looking back at you. Obviously, I've lost weight and I've mentioned the hair loss as well already. But the battle is really within myself. Um, you know, am I going to be able to be the the, the, the person I was? before this stuff happened um it's it's just a number of different feelings thoughts and emotions that are constantly running through my head but physically my body just wants to get back to normal so there's just so much conflict right now you know on a day-to-day basis and you know having having amy with me you know um throughout this whole period of time helps so much when i'm feeling flat and she senses I need a bit of a confidence boost. She's right there, on the money, you know, just speaking to me about you know remaining positive and just accepting. I'm this way at this moment in time. This 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 person that you you're identifying with now doesn't necessarily have to be the person that you're going to identify with for the remainder of your life. You know, the cancer can can be sent can can go into remission. Your energy levels will start picking up. You know um it's, it's just all of those things that you i, I kind of like i need and though i'm not asking for it it's just great to have it there when i need it the most where
0: do you find or, or seek the inspiration on those <clears throat> tougher days because you guys go, so you got your three boys you're you know, yeah, yeah. very close to you you got yeah. your fiance and, and, and family and friends but word where does the kind of inspiration and hope come from when you put the foot on the floor and it's it's not going to be one of the good days?
1: Um, you know the the, the 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 variety of choice words I could use, <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm not. Um, it's 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 that you know life is life is about progression. You know you, you don't you don't want to replicate the stuff you did in the past. You want to move on. You want to you want to um, improve on anything that you're doing from from you know one day to the next and it's a case of i wake up okay shit shaky legs but i have to, i have to tell myself that i'm going to beat this i'm going to beat it it's, ne- it's it's no match for you know cancer's no match for me and it's you know i've used i've used the 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 the, the f word a lot um over this period and that you know it's not going to beat me i i'm not going to allow it to be beat to beat me so um one of the or a few of the things i'm doing is i've been on a keto diet which is has been said to really help with certain types of cancers especially um brain tumors and brain cancer so i've been on a keto diet for i'd like to say close to 10 weeks now and explain um, what
0: what's what's keto diet is it lots okay of things so, or what, what's it, it involved
1: so the keto diet goes literally against the the, the the diet that we have been accustomed to believe is, is is a healthy diet on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, your proteins, your carbs, your fats. Now, obviously, within the fitness industry, fats are the devil. Sugar, the devil. With regards to the keto diet, because of the type of cancer I have, sugar is completely out. Any refined sugar in any product, anything that's pre-packed, any bars, any anything that's out there that has any refined sugars in, they are they kicked out kicked out the door i've now had to flip the ratio of my fats as the main content of my nutrition with protein coming in next and then you have your carbohydrates and i'm only allowed 12 grams of carbohydrates per day and they have to come from leafy green vegetables so that that's the difficulty and what that diet does it sends your body into a state of ketosis where you're actually now forcing your cells to generate energy from the amount of fat within your body whereas carbohydrates instant source of fuel your body naturally gravitates to carbohydrates as a source of fuel so you go through a period of conversion where your body is slowly changing the way it functions and uses the high fat levels within your body as your source of energy in order for you to do what you need to do on a day-to-day basis.
0: Does it help in having been an athlete for for the best part of three decades almost now? I mean, does it help to have that discipline where you're kind of used to putting yourself through this slightly weird and unhuman regime of of looking after yourself in a particular way, even if that way has changed?
1: Yeah, Um, it's very difficult and I'll say this quietly because Amy's in the other room, <laughs> my, 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 my discipline, it, my, my discipline, it, it wavers from time to time. There are days when I'm, I'm, I'm as quiet as a mouse and I'm just like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll eat that. Yeah, I'll eat that. Of late, it's been, I've, I've been battling with the, the, the knowledge that it's good for me, but I'm not enjoying any part of my nutrition program. There's not one part of it I enjoy. I understand that I have to eat this way in order to try and save my life. But there's, you know, I I speak to my nutritionist on a regular basis and he says, Mike, you've got to also take into account your body has been programmed to do this job, this way for 46 years. You're trying to change everything your body is used to in a space of a short amount of time. You've got to pat yourself on the back because obviously I've, I've dived in with both feet. And I've tried, and we've tried our utmost best to to be regimented and disciplined to follow this 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 form of 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 eating. Um, with it, good days, bad days. Discipline, yes, to a certain extent. Um, a- 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 Amy's Amy's way more disciplined with the nutrition than I am. And to be honest with you, if she wasn't that way, God knows what I'd be eating now. <laughs> because you just you just have those cravings and you you you, 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 you say you know you say the F bomb and you're like, what the hell, what's one meal gonna 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 change? I don't know what one meal will change, but I know within myself that I'm not helping myself by doing that. So it's such a difficult process to go through when I've I've just gotten accustomed to job needs to be done, get it done, and that's it. With this, there's so much more thinking that goes into it. You know, avocado was a, 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 was a food that I just couldn't stomach for the life of me. As a kid growing up, my mum would always sing its praises. And I'd literally bolt from the kitchen table whenever she put it on. <laughs> you know, and now I'm Amy's preparing these meals for me and avocado is on the plate. And as an adult, I still want to bolt from the table, <laughs> but I can't. I have to somehow manage to just get it down me. You You've just, just become a hipster.
0: That's like <laughs> everyone else. You're joining the Afro revolution.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that, but okay.
0: <laughs> I mean, you, you, you mentioned your mum, and I, I, Maria. And I, I went back and I was reading an interview ahead of this that, that you and I did 12 years ago for, for the oh, old yeah. Fade Away magazine. And you talked yeah. then about very candidly about your struggles after her death, because she was such a role model for you and in, in everything that you'd done up to then. And there, there, yeah. was, there was a thing you said to me and time you had ups and downs after that and basketball had yeah. been your life. And then suddenly you were like questioning motivation and, and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And you said that you, the the big thing that got you out of that quote unquote here, would, would mum want me to do this half-heartedly? <laughs> yeah, was that, that was quite, a prolonged process for you but it it seems to an extent that there's a lot of I guess learnings you could say from what you went through at that period of time that are quite useful right now
1: yeah definitely without a shadow of a doubt um you know loss loss hits us uh, hits us and affects us very differently um I guess I didn't really realize how how close I was with my mum um I really didn't appreciate at the time my mum, because you know, as as a as a you know a young a young guy growing up, once you get that little sense of freedom, you're you're out there, you know, you're out on the streets, you're you're hanging out with friends, you're coming home late, you're trying you're trying to pave your own way in society, and I think by by going through that, I I detach myself from my mum a bit, um, but having lost her, and in such a quick way you don't get to say everything that you want you wanted to say you think oh i can tell her tomorrow i'll tell her the day after once somebody's gone they've gone you can't no matter what you do you can't call them you can't go visit them you can't hear their voice you can't you know you can't um benefit from their, their, their words of wisdom you're, you're literally and i felt i was literally on my own having to process all of that and to try and figure out what 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 do I do now? You know, what do I do now? When I used to feel low, I'm on the phone, mum, XYZ's happened, what should I do? And I was one of those kids that if my mum said, you know, you go jump off the cliff, I'd go and do it because that's my mum. <laughs> and whenever she gave me advice, oh, I, I felt sorry for the person I was going to come up against because it just empowers you. And I felt such a level of empowerment from my mum having my back and just saying, Mike, you're gonna be okay. This is what I think you should do and how best you should approach this situation. So when all of those 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 things, you know, those those security blankets that you you um you you create or you have growing up are taken away from you, and taken away from you in such a quick aggressive way, you find yourself just floating and not really having any sort of direction. Um And because I felt I didn't have any direction or have any level of of support, I didn't think I'd be doing myself, basketball, any... uh, I I thought I'd be doing basketball and myself an injustice if I went in and did it half-heartedly. What, because I I was getting paid for it? I should just go back with the same level of... No, it was more than that. It was more than that. And the crazy thing is my mum never actually got to physically watch me play in the flesh. She saw me play on TV. Um, Commonwealth Games, and that and that was literally it. You know, I never actually got to share the the thing that I had, I was passionate about, and had literally built up, you know, with, with or through basketball with her to the level I wanted to. I see kids now that you know, they 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 come to the coaching session and their parents are with them, and I just look on in awe and just think how lucky you are to have your parent with you experiencing this thing of basketball and basketball to me is just not just like a normal sport it's it's more it's more than that i played football for a while at school and i never ever got the same type of feeling um i, I wasn't embraced by the sport as much as i was when i started playing bas- basketball once i played basketball for the first time it was it was curtains to everything else i just knew at that moment this is what i want to do and having seen michael jordan and sharing the same name, I just automatically gravitated towards Michael Jordan, Jordan, Chicago Bulls, just the the, the, the whole lot. <laughs> it just kind of like took over my life and, and that was me set with regards to what I wanted to achieve out of basketball.
0: It's just as well you didn't choose Michael Lola or, or Camden, but that's like, that goes <laughs> in a whole funny, different it's direction.
1: You it's funny you mention him, believe it or not, when I first started playing basketball, uh, Mike came down to the sports center that I I I worked I still work at at the moment, um, and we ended up having a mutual friend, a guy called Sandro, um, and I went and played for a club called Airborne, which was based in Heston, and uh, Mike Olu- Oluwakandi used to come down to um, that session as well, and it was just crazy that you know he left from here, went to the States, and I think he was at college for not for, not for very long, and then he made it to the NBA, and I was like, are you serious? No, no. The guy that started
0: university at Brunel as a freshman, as we wouldn't call it in this country, and ended up as number one draft pick. Still an incredible story. It just didn't quite end up. Definitely, we all might
1: have liked it. So crazy. It just, it just goes, just it just um, goes to show that you know possibilities and opportunities are always within or are always around us. It's just those of us who want to jump on them and make the most of them.
0: I mean, you mentioned, you know, kids coming down to the gym. I mean, how how have you tried to convey that? I mean, your three sons, Amari, Riaz and, and Jacqueline, how have you tried to, I guess, convey that importance to them of, of family? Because, you know, kids don't want to listen and kids think your parents are, you know, will be there forever and ever. And, you know, yeah, that's yeah. They're, they're just these people that, you know, kind of do stuff for you when, when you need them. But it hasn't... Did that change the way that you parent in terms of keeping them close and and what you pass on to them in a sense
1: yeah, definitely i mean um you know it there's no I have no shame in admitting that you know I was raised by a single a single parent uh my mum raised four of us on her own with no assistance from from anyone um she worked um and she worked bloody hard you know mum would be gone before we wake up in the morning for school, but she definitely would make sure she's back. Before we finish school, so we come home. Mum would be home to greet us, find out how our day was, and obviously, you know, prepare food and sit down and unwind. Um, what I've experienced throughout my childhood is that, um, yes, I do have a father. Was he present? No, he wasn't. Did he do enough? No, he didn't. So from that experience alone, I have always tried to ensure that my my boys know me they are familiar with me they are relaxed within my company that they know that i love them to bits and my son's 20 and before i put the phone down i still say to him i love you and he said the same thing back to me the younger kids i think it's really important that they establish a relationship with me because you know um it's just important for their growth and their their development again i i always make sure that they know how much they mean to me and how much i love them and i honestly feel that that's the least a father can do i never experienced that to this day hand on my heart i can say i've yet to experience the love that i think i deserve from a father that's why i'm the way that i am with my kids with regards to the disease my eldest understands it to a certain extent um he just he he just you know wants to make sure that I'm okay. He asked me how my day's gone, what I got up to, have I been eating, am I resting and so on. The younger kids, because they're so far detached from what goes on in society and stuff, they don't really get it. And I'm not in a position to really force that on them. I want them just to know that daddy's fine. You know, I'm a bit tired today, but I'm okay. And I'll see them soon. And that's, that, that, that's as much as I feel I can do at this moment in time. Until I beat this, that's as much as I can do. I just want them to have a level of balance during their childhood days or years, rather. Um, and I think that, that that's my role and it's important for me to fulfil that role. Um, so, you know, if... don't really want to sound more, but if push does come to shove and I don't beat this disease, they know they were loved. They know that dad had, you know, an immense amount of love for them and they they won't ever have to question that. Whereas for me... I've had to question that throughout my, my 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 entire bloody life. Um, it is what it is. You know, I'm a better. I I feel I'm a better person for having experienced that. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I I swallowed the pill. There are still you know moments of envy when I see other fathers out there with their kids and they're able to feel the love and concern and support from their father. But I feel having to live through that experience myself, this allowed me to give my boys more emotional support than anything else.
0: Over the last few months, I think I know what you might say to this one, but where have you found the time to kind of embrace life in a way and to to, to seek out the joys even in the tougher days? And yeah, Mm. I, I think a certain moment might stand out could top all
1: these things a certain moment i would have to say without a shadow of a doubt um having surgery on on an area of my body that could could have literally um ended me being able to play basketball was a big moment in my life Nonetheless, went through it and I was rehabbing so well with the, the, the most support by my fiance. The most support that I've ever experienced within a relationship. She has been everything and more in every bloody area. Every single area. There's nothing that I've wanted for from having the, the, the back surgery to being bed bound, to getting back on my feet, to working out, to... You know, having to go through the coronavirus situation and being isolated and whatnot, it she, she's just been the individual that has kind of like flipped the switch and has given me the 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 support and the the drive to say, Do you know, what? there there there's more to life. There is regardless of your age, there are still things to look forward to. There are still things to work toward. There is happiness out there available to you, but you have to be open to it. And, and, and now she's got a shiny ring Ill, her finger. There you go. <laughs> 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 but despite me being ill, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy where I am right now, you know? Um, and a lot of that goes to her because of who she's been for me at this. I guess you could say at my moment of need, she was or is the perfect fit for where I am now and for our future going forward. And have you set a date? We've yet to because there's so much going on. We're we're in the process of moving in together. Um, there is so much going on. And again, you know, we, we still have yet to see this second so this this second surge of corona. We don't know when it's gonna come, but they're quite adamant it is. So with regards to a date, we're hoping sometime soon. But again, it's, it's a case of once things begin to settle down, we can start putting pen to paper and say, Do you know what, this will be the ideal time for us to, you know, to tie the knot. Um, but it is going to happen without a shadow of a doubt. And it's just a case of, you know, looking at the logistics and putting things in place.
0: I mean, it, it's a wonderful recovery and a wonderful, you know, story to, to have the engagement. And so to put a dampener on things again, a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, this is the year that you've had. <laughs> you've got this oh, incredible shoe collection. You've been building this up for years and years
1: and years and years. Years and years and years. And and you yeah. you
0: have them in the back of a transit van, and you're shipping
1: mm-hmm. it. And yep. in the middle of the night, some yep.
0: I don't know what word we want to choose. There might be kids <laughs> listening. Let's just let's say some nasty person. Yeah. Swipes a lot. What what was what was in this van, and in how? Okay,
1: so we'll paint this picture. It was a Friday afternoon. We went and picked up a transit van from a hire company. We then come back to the flat we're currently living in. And we methodically go through packing things up, place them in the van. Now, not one item of anything that we own was on display in this van. Everything was boxed up, boxes are taped up. We, st- we, we, st- we stack them in the van along with sofa, our, our sofas and, and, and everything else. So we make the drive to Leon C and this is Friday evening. You know, it was ra- It started to rain. So it's quite, you know, quite a, a dismal evening. So we, we arrive in Leon C, park the vehicle up. We were about to start unpacking, but then the rain starts coming down even harder. Now, the street we parked on is literally across the road from where we're moving into. So there's no way in hell that anybody's, you know, seen what's in the van. I'm adamant. There's no way in hell. So we decide to leave the belongings in the the van and we'll just crack on with it first thing in the morning. So we wake up bright and early between seven and eight o'clock. I get dressed, go back to the van, get in the van, drive the van, park it in front of the building. I open the side door. And to my surprise, I see one of the sofas has been raised up on onto its side. So as Amy comes out, I say, when did when the hell did this happen? Because this didn't happen while we were driving, because I was really, really careful en route down to the to, to the property. Um I then happen to just peer into the back of the van <laughs> and what was there initially was no longer there. So I go around to the back of the van, open both doors, and the first thing that comes out is Oh my god! All of my shoes are gone, and the name is like, "What? What?" She comes around to the back of the van. She's like, "No way, Mike! What the hell?" I I literally had to take a step away from the van and just through memory think, "What? What did I have in here?" And I remember I packed up all of my Jordans <laughs> in style order <laughs> into these boxes. So obviously, once I unpack them, I know what's in each box and where they're gonna go. Um, A few other boxes were tossed around in the back of the van and I then decide to just walk away from the van and have a sit down. And it wasn't until Amy came and sat next to me, she was like, it's all gone. And I was like, yeah, I know, babe, everything's been taken. And this is what,
0: 52 pairs?
1: 52 pairs of Retro Jordans that I've been collecting since, I think it's safe to say from 1999, easily. Easy from nineteen ninety nine. Including, a, a including them, I
0: mean, there was one very special pair with that as well.
1: Yeah, a lot of them have yet to be worn. Um, and and with regards to a particular special pair, th- these weren't actually Jordans. These were uh Nike and Force One Supreme, I believe. Nike did a, um, a campaign for that particular shoe, and I believe we were playing, um. In Midnight Madness, and I, and I'm sure that it was it was that occasion where part of the prize was you got to customize a pair of shoes, and it happened to be that shoe in particular. So obviously, because of my mum passing away previously, I thought it would be a really nice thing to do to just have a pair of shoes that would be be, be used as memory of her. So I decided the colorways I decided was to represent the Saint Lucian flag, which is where my mum my mum's from. So it was a royal blue, black and yellow um, combination of colours with her initials on the shoes, on the heel of the shoe. And those were taken as well, which just...
0: And I mean, what have you done? I mean, because obviously you expect these things surface at some point. Have you been obsessively so... monitoring eBay or <laughs> what's,
1: what's the sort of hope and a prayer process after this? Yeah. So, so today, you know, it, it's, taken, it's taken a couple of days or it's taken quite a while to, to, to just come to terms with the fact they're gone. And some lucky so-and-so out there has got roughly £10,000 worth of footwear in their possession. So, um, I, I've I've lost my train of thought just thinking about it again. What was the question again? Please remind me. Have you been checking
0: eBay? Or okay, yes. Or yeah. So,
1: uh, Amy has been really, really vigilant. She's been on um, on on Facebook Marketplace. She's been on eBay, um, and obviously, she's just constantly looking through possibilities of where they may be being sold or advertised and we're, we're doing this on a day-to-day basis where we spend maybe an hour hour and a half just sitting down looking 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 and um, to see if anything comes up and to date nothing's come up I've had a lot of help from people out there who have been asking Mike are these, could these possibly be yours the annoying thing is none of these shoes had anything particularly identifiable about them because they're retro, you know, Nike do a release. However many they release, they release. But once they're gone, they're literally gone. Now, I know I'm not the only person who's a Jordan fan. There's a bunch of people out there who would be doing the same thing as I'm doing, is buying them, keeping them, maybe wear them every now and again. But ideally, is to buy them, keep them, and, and, and know that you ha- they're in your possession. So um, it's really difficult for me to even find whether or not anyone is selling my shoes at this current moment in time. Now, the thing that may give it away is if they decided to get rid of them together, they're all a UK size 12. Every single shoe, UK size 12. So if anybody's trying to offload, you know, a a stock or or of Jordan collection retro shoes and every shoe's in a size 12, UK size 12, then that's a flag. Um, We reported it to the police and, you know, I'm, I'm aware that, you know, the police are very busy, but this situation is very specific and it does affect me personally. I would have expected a little bit more help support within with the situation. And um, they took down as much information as they possibly could within a space of two days. we got a phone call to explain that, you know, they've put the word out, they're going to be investigating and they have no leads at the moment. So they have no choice but to close the case. If anything does come up, they will obviously contact myself or Amy and let us know what the deal is. Um, I've, my a good friend of, of 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 mine through Guildford Heat Basketball Club, um, Bridget Hayward has decided, along with um, a basketball friend of mine and ex teammate, um, Julius Joseph, to put together a GoFundMe page just to try and help, you know, ease the, the the blow of what's been happening and what has just recently happened with the loss of or the theft of my 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 shoes so um so many people and i've just been overwhelmed with how many people actually give a damn and it just makes you realize that there are good people out there the people that broke into the van are not good people but there are good people out there and i'm just so appreciative that i've been able to use basketball as a vehicle to 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 be introduced to these people and and have these people as as friends and 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 people actually you know are concerned about my welfare um does it,
0: does it does t- I mean does it I mean it's over three thousand points, I mean so far. And that's just so yeah. far. I mean it must I mean you say you appreciate that, but it must touch you immensely. It that, does definitely that so I mean, many people have reached out as a consequence of this.
1: Yeah, there there are evenings where I, I well up. You know. Yeah, I know I'm I'm six foot five and I, I was reasonably muscly but you know i do have a soft side and (laughs) there were even where i'm looking at what people are saying and and what they're willing to donate to me and i'm just thinking well, i'm just i'm just mike i'm just do i don't deserve all of this attention support love but nonetheless people are going out of their way to show me that you know they're really sorry to hear what's happening and they have and they and they have my back and they're supporting me and that in itself is just them reaching out is enough let alone contributing money that in, in in a time that we're, we're experiencing now where, you know, a lot of people are affected by work, from, um, are affected from COVID with earning an income, but yet these people are happy to open their wallets and their purses and donate whatever they can afford to to my cause, which is just, you know, again, it's just overwhelming. And I, I just feel blessed. I feel honoured. And I, just, I, I honestly feel I'm in their debt, you know, um and my, my, my plan is to somehow make that up to them. I don't know how at this moment in time, but you know I would love to be able just to return the favour in some fashion just to show them that how appreciative I am of them and their generosity.
0: I think when reading your year, one of the things that struck me was that you went through this back surgery and this was supposed to sideline you for a while. Yeah. But not too long after that. There was a video online of you dunking the ball, <laughs> and I don't think that was necessarily in the treatment plan this year.
1: No, you definitely wasn't.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> is after all this, is you know, we can't, it's a bit tough to play basketball at the moment. I haven't been able yeah. to play yet. You know, you can go to an art court, but that's it. But even though you're a few years obviously from retiring from, from actual playing, but is there a part of you that? will find some normality from this again once you can get back into a gym and you feel, is there a motivating factor from being able to feel I can get back in there, I can try and dunk again?
1: Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I can tell you this much. The day after surgery, they, they are adamant that you get up and you walk around the ward. And I'll tell you, for, for love nor money, I couldn't push through my heels to stand up from that bed for nothing. It's like, I thought if I stood up, my entire lower back was just going to burst open and that was going to be me done. It wasn't until I stood on my feet, I reassured myself that I'm going to be fine. I'm going to get through this and I'm going to come back stronger than I ever was. And I honestly feel that even having arthroscopies and I've had micro done in my knees, the the months prior to a Midnight Madness tournament and I said I'm not missing out on this tournament for nothing and I've always just had that shut up and get on with it attitude especially when it's been something physical I've always had the shut up and just get on with it your body's not going to fail you you can do it and that's what you're going to do and that's always been my ethos and my bottom line on a lot of things that have to do with my physical ability. So as far, from, from having the surgery to coming home, to going out for walks with with, with Amy and, and and building my strength up to starting to lift weights and so on in the garden and everything else. For me, it was just a natural process. There was nothing in my head that told me I am not, not going to be able to play basketball again or even dunk. There's nothing that's going to bloody hold me back. And that's just been the approach. Sometimes I've jumped the gun a little and I've paid the price in the sense of having prolonged pain. But it still whittles back to that ethos of shut up, get up and just do it. And that's what it's been. So we can fairly confidently expect
0: you and Julius Joseph and probably Jay Williams and a few other <laughs> that sort of gang to be in some masters tournament.
1: Oh, you are not wrong. That is the goal. Because initially, this year was the goal for Masters 2020, which was supposed to be taking place in Spain. And then obviously, I had the surgery, which sidelined me. And then coronavirus hit. And obviously, that tournament got cancelled. But 2021, God willing, I'm going to be there representing Great Britain, without a shadow of a doubt. That is now, you know, after the move, the wedding um, arrangements... And basketball—that is my 2021 already sorted. Those are those are the goals, without a doubt. Those well, like, that sounds like
0: a perfect wedding honeymoon combination, really. <laughs> basketball tournament slotted in on it, you yeah, know. Oh yeah, you could sell that.
1: Why not? Last <laughs> <laughs> well, couple things.
0: Let, let's let's talk basketball and a kind of you know, a more traditional note. I mean, you. You retired about you know, your three years ago. So you played on a farewell to your last season with with the Leopards. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah. go back to that magazine interview that you gave me ten years ago, and you know, one of the things you talked about, and we've had a lot of people on this podcast, you know, who have retired talking about their views on the game and, and how, it's, how it's evolved while they were playing, but the game since. And I, I'm I'm going to read this quote to you, here. and you said the, the frustration, and this is quote unquote. I don't know if it's just our take in a sport, but it's not accepted, accessible. It's not attracting people. And I don't think enough's been done to introduce the younger generation to the game and, and put in place what is needed for them to continue playing if they choose.
1: Yeah, you,
0: You're still connected and you still talk to a lot of people in the game. And you know, you're, I've seen you at games in the past couple of years as well. You know, you're know you you're still visible and still enthused about it. But how do you... from Coming from a generation that was very tight and there was... Especially Midnight Madness that you've mentioned, there was a, you know a a group and a, an outlet for a lot of guys of your generation, particularly coming through sort of around the London area. But yeah, how do you see the
1: sport now? Um. Okay, from a grassroots level, I think the sport has evolved a hell of a lot. Um, just seeing what you know the things that. Namo Shiri is doing with regards to the CBL within London um there are various organizations within London that are doing a lot of work with regards to grassroots level of basketball um, Julius Joseph obviously is running the, the the FIBA three on three tournament which is just huge now um and again there are, there are there are the variety of organizations within and around London that are doing a lot for grassroots level because ultimately for me Sports is sport. And if you're engaging with so many young children and if the sport is managed correctly, can you just just think of the opportunities you're providing for these kids? And for me, that's what it was. As a kid, I wasn't the brightest, but I found something within running around and jumping around and just, you know, being focused on doing something and giving it 110% allowed me to build my self-confidence. It allowed me to fall in love with athletics because that's initially what I was really really into and football at, at, at a young age I just don't understand what the take is with regards to engagement of children and finding those diamonds in the rough and giving them the opportunity to pursue something that they love so from that aspect it's 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 annoying because I've been running um, Brent Blazers Basketball Club since bloody two thousand and seven, for the year after I came up at Commonwealth Games, and to date we are still struggling to even get funding from local businesses, from local um or authority. D- there's just nothing, so we're having to manage it as best as we can. And I have I have another three coaches who come in and help out for for, for literally free, and they're taking up their Saturdays and their Sundays sometimes to to ferry these kids in and around London, to go and play basketball and compete and for them to engage with other players, other programmes, and to see what opportunities are available to them. So for me, that in itself should be a priority. We, we battle with childhood obesity. We battle with mental health issues with young kids. We battle with bullying. Why not try and put these kids in, in, in arenas that will allow them to, you know, just to feel accepted and be themselves and to, and to excel? If it's something that they love, Given that opportunity to excel within that within that area, as far as the game for on a professional basis, um, it's the same old situation. Basketball is very very territorial, you know. Um, clubs don't want to let go of players because you know, oh, they're they're they my best player, and I'm not allowing them to, to to leave, or you can't poach him, and all the rest of it. the, the, the bottom The bottom line, or the bigger picture, should be. Does this program offer this child a better opportunity than my program does? If it does, you let them go. You push them in that direction. Within London, I know, and I know this is is is, is within London and particular to London. There is so much territorial. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's just so much, so much emphasis on on territory that basketball should be. A, uh, a, uh, 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 more of an open playing field. I feel, especially for the kids that are up and coming, and again with the professional scene, it's 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 always been financial. Um, you know, you, you you heard stories back in the day of you know the owner of London Towers and you know Brighton Bears and all of this stuff about money that's gone missing and then the club folds and stuff like that. And I think that people are in it to make a quick buck. I think it's something that you need to invest in over a longer period of time to establish the club, establishes roots within the community. So you're going to have that constant, you know, level of, 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 of up-and-coming stars filtered through. There's such a, a cut-off between basketball within the UK and other sports. We already know football, you know, it's a world sport, just as basketball is. But in the UK, it's prioritised as the sport. Um, and I'm not knocking these sports because they've done a great job to get themselves in that position. You know, you've got cricket, we've got rugby. There's a number of other sports that I could, you know, go down the line of of mentioning. But I just feel that there is something that's not quite right within the basketball um, fam- family that is affecting the sport on every level possible. I remember living in France and playing in France and it was, they had junior programmes by age group, right the way up to seniors. I've yet to experience that anywhere professionally, anywhere. They have arenas, stadiums built solely for basketball. Where do we have that in the UK? That's solely for basketball and prioritizes that sport. I know for a fact the sports center I work at, in order for us to have half court, we're not charged by usage of a basketball rim we're charged by usage of the two badminton courts that covers that space. (laughs) How are kids supposed to afford that? It's unfair. There's a problem with regards to how you make these sports accessible and how you make these sports successful. And that is our problem in the UK.
0: That's quite depressing because that's pretty much exactly what you said to me 10 years ago.
1: And this is the thing. It hasn't changed. It has not changed. (laughs) so that's why we struggle you know we 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 we, just like every other nation in the bloody world have talent there are talented individuals here but you know what's happening is that these talented individuals are not being given an opportunity to have access to these sports that could just create a completely different outlook on life and what they can possibly achieve but it's not it's not highlighted as, as such You know, it's, oh, it's a sport that's not going to bring in enough money. It's not going to do this. It's not going to do that. Um, We don't really identify with it because it's a basket. It's an American sport, And all of these excuses, all of these excuses. And then when we perform on the world stage, people are expecting us to to kick ass every single time. We're not in a position to do that. We're in a position to compete, but to compete and be within... Or have an opportunity to to, to to be successful and win. That's th- th- that's the problem.
0: If you were running, I'll give you this the last question. If you were running Basketball England, you're responsible for a lot of this, and you're part mm. of the world. What would you What would you do as the kind of priority to change that?
1: <laughs> My first thing would be, and I'm I'm not knocking those people who are in within you know Basketball England, but sometimes you know you have to make a couple of steps back to go forward. I would look at our neighbours, and find out what's working for them that we can implement here. And like I said, prime example, I played for two seasons in France and I had never seen anything like it to the extent that even jerseys of both clubs I played for, so Nantes and Saint-Étienne, they had merchandise that ranged from little kids, toddlers, right the way up to adults, the same approach that football clubs do here that allowed you to generate a source of revenue which hopefully in time would allow you to you know possibly build the franchise to become even bigger and better and allow you that safety blanket so that you can start venturing out and doing things that other clubs are not able to do where others within the uk may be able to follow your model and raise the level of the sport so for me if i was working for eb i would you know look at my neighbors and find out what's going on you've got France, you've got Germany, you've got Spain. These things are not impossible to achieve. But I find in life and in, in, in every area of life, it's a lack of... It's all right to sit behind a desk and talk and and, and spit your spiel about what you think is going to work. But have it worked? Look, look at the results. Have it worked? If it hasn't worked, then it's time for change. I'm a personal trainer. I train clients. If the program I set for my client is not achieving a goal, I can't blame my client. I've got to blame myself. Mike, you've gone down the wrong road. You need to take a couple of steps back. Look at what you've been implementing. And if it doesn't work, you have to change it. So the responsibility will always lie with me as a personal trainer, delivering a service to a client who expects a result. That's what everybody in the basketball industry wants or the basketball you know, world wants is a method that's going to. that's going to provide you with the outcome that everybody is after and ultimately in sport it's about bloody excellence, is it not?
0: Well it should be but we all know that that's not always quite the case anyway, you had quite Mm. an excellent career Um, we wish you excellent luck and fortune and everything else on your road to to full recovery Um, I know there's going to be a lot of people out there rooting for you and we are wishing you the very best all every step of the way, but Mike thank Martin, you very, uh, very much. thanks for coming on the MVP cast. And, um, Not a problem, I forget
1: that. Thank you. Once again, I appreciate you having me, man. It really means a lot. You know, gives me an opportunity to get a lot of stuff off my chest, which is great. So um, yeah, I'm just grateful for the, the opportunity and thank you for you know just reaching out and giving me a chance to just speak about what's been going on. <laughs>
0: yes, well, we, we hope, to, hope more good news is on the way, Mike Martin. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. Take it easy, mate.
0: That's it for this edition of the MVP cast brought to you with our kind sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. You can find them on social media at TU Compliance Limited. You can get all our previous editions at mvp247.com or subscribe via your preferred podcast provider. If you want to get in touch with me, reach out via Twitter at Mark Another edition of the MVP cast coming very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, thanks for listening. And it's bye for now.